This is the Lifestyle Business Podcast, Episode 7. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I just wanted to thank everyone for signing up for free audio updates via iTunes. That's really great. It's helped us to become uh, number one in iTunes for Lifestyle Design Podcasts. So if you want to tell your friends to download our, our show, just tell them to search at the iTunes store for Lifestyle Design Podcast. If you're listening to this from the website and you didn't know, you can get a free regular subscription to this podcast through the iTunes store. Just go there and search for Lifestyle Design Podcast or Lifestyle Business Podcast, and we'll come up, and then you can sign up and receive regular audio updates. This is Dan Andrews, and I'd like to thank you for downloading the Lifestyle Business Podcast, the premier online resource for entrepreneurs seeking unique approaches to life, business, and career. This week we've got a fun episode. I pulled in my friend and co-host Ian and we're going to talk about some common sources of income for lifestyle designers. We've got a pretty decent sized list. It's going to be sort of a broad overview but it's it's inspired by people that I've met while traveling around whenever I meet an independent professional who's got many mobile streams of income or even just one or they're kind of in a transitional stage. I get interested and I start asking questions. And so this episode is in part a result of of that inquiry. Um, And so certainly if I ever see you on the road, I will be questioning you just the same. Um, And so we just talk about some broad categories of people who are making this kind of mobile lifestyle happen. Hope you enjoy. All right. Hi, everybody. Well, Ian and I have been hanging out a lot lately, getting ready for our big trips overseas. So kind of been going back into the archives a little bit and pulling out some thoughts we've had over the last couple years. If we, As we've grown our business, we've been inspired by works of Tim Ferriss, David Allen. Um, we've been reading a lot of Leo uh, from Zen Habits. Really, there's countless uh, inspirations. When I went on my first mini retirement, one of the things that happened, and mini retirement, for those of you who don't know, is a concept in the Four Hour Workweek book by Tim Ferriss, where you sort of distribute your retirements throughout your life, and you do three to six month trips um, that allows you to either start new businesses or focus on certain physical skills or whatever. You know, the first time I took a mini retirement, I all of a sudden started to notice all these other lifestyle designers around. There's something about the corporate workaday lifestyle that. You know, those people don't gel with the people who are out doing crazy lifestyle design stuff, you know, living a 100%, you know, freedom of time and mobility kind of lifestyle. I felt like I really got exposed to a million different ways to, to get at this lifestyle design kind of thing. And for me, I think it had the operate, it, it really reduced the pressure that I felt, you know, like it didn't feel like it was me against the world anymore like there was a whole community of people out there who really wanted more and were willing to go for it each point that we're going to bring up today was inspired by somebody that i met Um, i'm not going to tell their story specifically but i'll just bring up you know either how they were getting their passive income whether that be from a business that they developed or owned but also i saw a lot of people developing that passive income and they were engaged in what I ended up calling a wooze, which is a mix between working and muse. Now muse is the term that Tim Ferriss uses to describe a business that enables your lifestyle. So essentially, you know, muse means lifestyle business. And um, I started calling a lot of things I saw people engage in as 
wooses, which are sort of half measures that sort of start getting you in the direction towards building a business and building that kind of hardcore passive income. So, you know, on the one hand, there's the people that have that passive income and they're the entrepreneurs, they're the business owners. Um, you know, like, and it's important that you think of it as a business too, because when people sell you passive income ideas on the internet, it's, it's often like kind of like, oh, you put up an ebook and all of a sudden you've got passive income. And sometimes that's the case, but more often than not, nine times out of 10, it's from a business type structure. Right, and what we talk about mainly on this show is building businesses exactly. out of those ideas. But while you, you know, taking building a business that provides you with passive income can be, uh, you know, it can take years. And building successful businesses takes time. And so I love this idea of the woos, the half measure, that gets you used to a freelancing entrepreneurial spirit, that frees up some of your time and mobility so that you can develop a business while you're earning money from a woos. Sometimes a woos can uh, be just highly leveraged income, income that you don't have to work a lot for. Um, and so there's a lot of different examples. So what we're going to do today is we're going to just go through a list of people that I saw as lifestyle designers out there on the road. And we're going to talk about how this, how this stuff can, uh, can really um, get you moving in the direction towards lifestyle design. Okay, so the first group of people are bloggers and writers. Okay. Uh, there's tons of examples of bloggers that are making money from their blogs. Yeah, we work with a couple of them. Sure. It's a labor of love, we know, and it's not the fastest way to make a buck. But it's a good way to bring exposure to yourself and your project. It can be. You know, I pay quite a few bloggers advertising money now to, to advertise products in a few different niches. Having a focused niche blog that appeals to people who have products can be a really excellent business. I have a friend who recently you know quit her corporate job and now earns a very nice passive income off of her blog and in order to maintain that she only needs to do one or two posts a week really and it's all automated and a lot of times these these bloggers are um, are blogging about lifestyle businesses as well sure right? yeah I mean there's a lot of that going on a lot of the successful bloggers that I know you know, they really focus in on a niche that people are willing to spend money on. And a lot of times it's high-end products. And I think it's also good to remember if you're going to be a, a blogger or a writer, and that's kind of kind of be your woos, that it should be something that you're really passionate about and something that you don't have a problem writing three or four times a week on. Totally. And doing a lot of research and, and development. A lot of times you say, well, you don't want to, like, mix up your passion with your business because if you turn your passion into a business, then you're going to hate it eventually. But blogging might be an exception to that because you're really building a relationship with a community. You've got to, like, people are going to be able to sniff you out if you're not speaking with an authentic voice. you got to be able to stick with it for a long time if you want to create a successful blog. One of the other things, you know, I would encourage if you're thinking about starting a blog in order to make money, one of the things you want to stray away from is being a Me Too blog. I think like most of the blogs that exist are Me Too's and I just don't see a lot of Me Too blogs that end up making money and if you want to make money online you gotta kind of be the definitive resource on something. If you look at some of the some of the best blogs out there uh, and you ask them how they got started, most of the time it was for fun. They didn't really have any kind of income strategy when they started so that 
just gives you an idea of what the your main intention should be if you're going to be a professional blogger. I mean, I think it has to be a labor of love. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's it's a great thing to do, but good luck if you want to make a million bucks. That's the bottom line. The next uh, person that I met that inspired a category of lifestyle designers is the guy who took outsourcing seriously. And what this guy did was he bid, He his job was to craft brilliant sales letter type bids on Elance that inspired a lot of trust. And he hired well-educated Vietnamese college graduates to take care of the work that he ended up bidding on. Uh, he ended up getting long-term clients and a well-trained staff. So a lot of the people on Elan, uh, posting jobs on Elance are very successful entrepreneurs who need to get something done. If you come through and over-deliver, maybe they're expecting some kind of uh, like undereducated person in some foreign country. Now say this guy, what he did was came through with a brilliant sales letter, a brilliant bid, but his costs were in line with the other outsourced professionals, maybe add only 15%. But by scaling this activity, he ended up with 15 employees in one year, and now he runs a successful business process outsourcing uh, business in Vietnam and and he travels this guy I mean he has a wonderful lifestyle design uh, he ended up hiring someone to do what he did in his office and now this guy is everywhere you know he's on a plane every week yeah the Elance professional is an interesting is an interesting guy it's it's amazing that uh, you can sit on these websites and, and make incomes and you know, it doesn't start off passive, obviously, if you're having to do all the work, but like your your buddy, you know, you turn it into a passive income stream and you start to build teams. I, I mean, we've worked with teams off Elance before with uh, lead generation and content generation, guys that sit on Elance bidding on jobs and they have a whole team of, of guys in uh, India doing the work for them. So, Well, here's a great example is, you know, one of the things that I've done over the past two years is I've become an expert SEO consultant. And now I don't do a lot of consulting, but certainly when I first got started as an entrepreneur, one super quality, if, if what you want is to land a major SEO client, say, you know, $100,000 a year client, where can you find more qualified leads than people posting SEO jobs on Elance? These are people that have raised their hand and said, I'm willing to pay for SEO. Now, if you can come through and over deliver, you could even say convince that company that they don't need an in-house staff if they have a trustworthy outsource staff. Elance is a great way to find leads too if you're if you're thinking about scaling a sort of a outsource services team. These ways are countless by the way but this is just sort of uh, what I ended up writing down. Number three, web application owners. In general this is software as a service or like membership pieces of software that you like, uh, you know, I'm a member of Basecamp, like a lot of people probably listening to this podcast. BasecampHQ.com I used to manage my projects with some of my outsourced team. Obviously, the, the guys that founded Basecamp, they're very influential on the Internet. They have a great blog. They have a great book called uh, Getting Real, I believe. It's about starting web applications and running web app businesses. You know, I have a friend who, who ended up in the TechCrunch demo pit within three months of paying an outsourced team to develop an application for them. One maybe a little riskier than a lot of other sources of income, but also there's a lot higher upside potential. Right. Uh, number four is online retail store owners. This is this is a big one, right? 
Totally. I mean, there's a lot of easy ways to set up an online store. Yeah, you see it all the time with these Amazon stores and these eBay stores. I mean, I think eBay is probably the biggest example of this out sure. there. And there's two ways to do it. I mean, you can deliver a niche product maybe to a new and emerging market or to a market that hasn't been niched out in a unique way yet. You definitely want to be unique. I mean, I, there's not a lot of cases where it makes sense to be like kind of make a comprehensive play. It makes more sense to like really focus in, you know, on particular markets. But there's a lot of web. You don't need to have any more a programmer on staff to set up a web store. You can set this stuff up either through Yahoo or, I mean, there's countless services out there. I'm actually not up to speed. I don't feel comfortable recommending a service. But, you know, we we uh, both have e-commerce sites um, as part of our businesses, and, and we actually run them ourselves. We, we have developers that we work with. Um, and that's not even expensive. So don't think that you can't develop your own e-commerce store either. And certainly we can share some ways that you know, that can be extremely cost-effective developing your own. I mean, there's a lot of money to be made by selling stuff on the internet. That's the bottom line, especially hard goods. And you don't have to have a warehouse, right? No, a lot of these guys you can just drop ship with. Right. I mean, I know you've done that. Can you just give me a brief run-through of... Sure, sure. Tell me, I mean, maybe what it would be kind of cool just to take a minute and say, like, if I were to challenge you to start an e-commerce business, like, how would you do that? Right. So, uh, you know, we talk, I, I'm, I'm a manufacturer of hard goods in, in one of my organizations. So um, we've obviously set up uh, web stores before on the internet and sold products. And we've sold other people's products before. Actually, that's a great way to test out markets. Okay. A lot of people listening, you know, they don't, you have, a, you've set up manufacturer supplier relationships. You know, that's actually not the hardest thing to do, given that there's Alibaba.com and you can just hop on a plane. China's a thousand dollars away. But a lot of people don't have the time to set that up. So right. if, if you don't have a, a manufacturing relationship and you don't have web coding skills, how can you start an e-commerce business? What would your approach be? Right. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, one of our one of our businesses, we we uh, use web uh, distributors to sell our products. So a lot of these people that start online retail stores identify niche product areas, whatever it might be, say s- cell phones or even even more niche than that. Let's say uh, flower pots, right? So somebody will identify uh, a market like flower pots, then they'll gather up all the suppliers. They'll pull together an e-commerce site and then contact the manufacturers and just have them drop ship product for them. Right. So they never even see the product. Usually, you can expect uh, anywhere between 25 and 50% uh, discounts off retail as online web stores. Basically, you guys are up to the challenge of uh, SEO and, and building a web store and, and becoming relevant. And it's having... essentially a marketing play. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's totally a marketing play. I mean, manufacturers are set up to do this nowadays. Like, I, I have a manufacturing company. People send me emails all the time saying, hey, like, I'm setting up some web store. Can you send me the, the web wholesale pricing? Yeah. And we drop ship, blind ship, whatever needs to be done for these people. Yeah. Yeah, it's real common. But, you know, the key is, is if you want to start a business like this, you want to set yourself apart some way, whether that is you've developed a community of people that trust you or you have a piece of inside information about a web, uh, about a niche, it's a new niche, or just you're going to do it better. You know, you have an inside track on a marketing channel like Twitter or you have a podcast or you're better at SEO than your competition or something, you know. It's a great lifestyle business because it, most times you, it can be location independent uh, and it's scalable. Totally scalable. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one. We, it sounds like we have a lot to say about online retailing, so we'll make a note of that. 
earmark that for the future for sure. Number five is web uh, membership website owners. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting space. I know you're particularly uh, interested in this space, and it's it's it definitely fits the model of um, a lifestyle business. You know, for people that aren't familiar with website membership sites, why don't you key them into what those are? Well, I think the reason membership sites can be valuable for people is that there's tons and tons of information out there. So if you're interested in a particular niche or particular solving a particular problem, it can be extremely valuable to you to have someone that you trust that you know has done it before distill the information for you. Membership site is just a way to deliver that information in a community-like forum. So if you enter into a membership site, you put in your login and password, say, you get in there, you can you can watch videos and you can listen to audio and you can read the content, but you can also interact with the other members. And so it's kind of like a self-selected community. That can be extremely valuable. I mean, um, I've paid a lot of money to attend mastermind groups where I know other people have paid money to to be there. And it's a selected, filtered group, and it makes it more valuable. That's just a virtual way. It's a virtual club. And certainly, um, I mean, a good example is when you go to an internet, mar- I'm really into internet marketing. When you go to an internet marketing conference, and you've got to pay three grand to be there. You know that when when you meet somebody in the hallway after a seminar that they paid three grand too, and that means that they mean it. And that means why, you know, I think that that is a, an exceptional way to get more value out of your relationships. And you're talking about really high level things here. I think the the tip of the iceberg on the membership sites is usually the the person or the people that start these kind of sites are people with specific knowledge, specific insider knowledge or specific knowledge on something. Maybe it's playing the guitar or maybe it's um, how to get a certain certification in something. Or Forex training or some kind of special investing kind of stuff. There's a lot of health membership sites like people who are training for, say, a marathon or something. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, you'd be amazed at the, like, the breadth of these um the kinds of communities that people are willing to pay to join. And, and the benefit for the person that starts a membership site like this is that you create a following, you create a trusted community or a community that trusts you and the community and that you're able to sell them products once they get in the door. Well, not only that, it's continuity income, which is exceptional. You know, you get people to sign up once and every single month uh, they continue to pay you. So any way you can go after continuity income, I mean, that's the that's the way to do it. Right. So this this membership websites are, are pretty complex things with a, with kind of a lot of different strings strings intertwined. So I, I'm I'm interested to hear more about that. Sure. I mean, we definitely need to do a an episode about membership sites, and it's uh, getting much much easier to put up a membership site. In fact, you can do it in one day with a WordPress blog. We'll distribute that that tidbit in a in a future episode when we have a chance to kind of cradle it better. Awesome. So let's move on to the next one, uh, rich people. You know, a lot of people will just write rich people off as lifestyle designers, but uh, I think rich people are probably like the OG lifestyle designers, <laughs> you know? They kind of, uh, long before it was possible to start your own business on the internet for $8 domain name, you know, you had to have some capital to get started. Yeah. And certainly to benefit from a passive income, the traditional way to do that is off of large assets. You know, there's a lot of rich people out there doing lifestyle design. Let's be honest, we all want to be designers of our of our life, right? So 
it, you know, if you ask most people, they wouldn't design eight hours of work at a job that they don't like to do. <laughs> so, you know, rich people have taken care of that, right? Because <laughs> they just don't participate. I think it's important to, uh, for everybody to consider themselves um, a lifestyle designer and understand how rich you can be when you start designing your life. Right. I kind of have a corollary point to that, that, you know, I didn't think of this too much. I, you know, I come from a middle class background, but when I was on my first mini retirement, I met up with a lot of people who had convinced their wealthy parents or family members to support their new lifestyle, especially people who had like large creative projects or they wanted to start a new company or something. It's a great idea. If you can convince somebody in your family to foot the bill for you to be a lifestyle designer, for you to get your foot in the door go for it. Like, you know, there's no better way to, to finance this stuff. When you think about what it could, would it cost to live an entire year in the Philippines, for example, since I'm heading there, you could live comfortably in the Philippines for $800 a month. Now you're essentially going to someone in your family and saying, just give me 10 grand and you're going to give me 12 months of solid work to either produce my work of art or this business that's going to profit everybody. Right. Now, if you're into deserted islands, you could probably live for about 200 $100, $200 a month. And there's certainly plenty of them in the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, and if your project is something that doesn't require city infrastructure, then it, it's a great idea to go to somebody and ask for three to five grand and go somewhere where you can reduce your costs and develop your project. Right. Not, not even ask, maybe go ahead and sell that Honda Civic that you've got in the driveway. Yeah. I mean, and although it is tough way. to part with a Honda Civic. <laughs> which kind of leads into the next, the next point, I think, which is when you're on the road, one of the most common people that you'll, that you'll meet on English teachers is a, is a huge uh, opportunity to become a lifestyle uh, designer. English teaching is uh, the first example on our list that I would call a proper wooze. And although not a lot of people have a passion for teaching English necessarily, most English teachers abroad seem to have a passion for travel. And so at least like becoming an English teacher gives you that first step out the door to sort of get a taste of what kind of a traveling itinerant, more nomadic lifestyle looks like. And so that's definitely an example of getting out of your home country, getting used to to living overseas, having to hustle for jobs, you know, and, and a lot of overseas teachers get paid great. So it can be a great way to, to get started. And I would say the vast majority of English teachers that I've met abroad are saving a lot of money. And when you live in a, you know, when you're saving a ton of money and then you're living in very low cost places, you can stop working and continue to live for the next six months. And that'll give you an opportunity to get a business off the ground or, or, you know, make your next move. And there's a big community of these guys. There's no shortage of them. So it's really easy to find people and figure out how they do it. These gals as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a healthy, healthy community around the English teaching. The other thing I think um, it can help is, is when you get out of the country, oftentimes it's a really inspiring place to be. It's more of an entrepreneurial environment because people are sort of, they're making moves, they're making changes in their lives. There's something about being in a place that is much, much different from what you're used to, that you kind of see opportunities everywhere. You see opportunities to bring your knowledge to a new place, whereas you might undervalue the things that you know, kind of in your everyday uh, hometown where everybody knows the same stuff, or you feel like the stuff that you know is sort of undervalued. Uh, the next thing that uh, you see a lot with woozing a web design, you know, there's another slash, there's a couple other things that are very similar, which is like if you're a software developer, yeah. Or if you're an SEO consultant. Ever since, you know, web design came about, 
um, especially web design, more than software development, there's been a huge culture of freelancing based around it. Freelancing being, you know, having that attitude that, you know, everyone you meet is a potential client. There's always an opportunity to add more work into your portfolio and, and onto your schedule. And um, it's kind of a hustle. One of the great things about being a web designer is, you know, in nine times out of 10, there's absolutely zero significance to your location. Yeah. It's totally irrelevant, you know? You know, I want to throw out a point, you know, to that point, and that's this, is, you know, one interesting experiment that I encourage a lot of people to do is to, to ask yourself how much of your work is uh, location dependent in your current job if you do still have a current job. Right. And, and if you can say um, maybe 50% is location dependent or maybe zero is location dependent, whatever number you come up with, I encourage everybody um, that's currently working a job to go ask their boss if they can take a percentage of their pay, maybe 50% pay cut, maybe 20% pay cut, and go do their job outside of their office full-time. And I think it's a really interesting experiment to become location independent and still have an income, basically. It's an incredible approach to the, to the woos concept. Whereas, like, if you're getting paid 60 grand a year and 60% of it is, or say, let's just make it easy, make my math easy. You're getting paid 100 grand a year. 60% of it is, is remotable. Right. You start to demonstrate through a variety of tactics, you know, we talk about often and we can we can hit on later, that you can provide the same, if not more value, independent of your job location. And just take the pay cut. Your time value for your money is going to be radically increased because of the basic tenets of, you know, time is money. If you can move, have more mobility in which to uh, spend your money, it's going to be worth a lot more to you. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's a great experiment for those of you that are looking to take the plunge pretty soon here. Well, let me tell you an example quickly of the way I've applied this to my own. So when I realized a few years ago when I was in a location-dependent job, I realized that some of the skills and some of the things, you know, that I was building up as part of my career, you know, the things that I was working on were unsustainable because they weren't going to allow me to become location independent. And so what I did is I did exactly the exercise you suggested. I looked at my job and I said, which parts of this are location independent? And I immediately started looking to the marketing portion of my task. I spent all my time then investing in those marketing skills, which now allow me to be location independent. So it's awesome approach. I mean, I think the hardest part in that is there's certain stuff that is location dependent. And that stuff right now, if you look at your life, could be making you a lot of money. The truth is, if you ever want to embrace these principles of lifestyle design, at some point, you're going to have to, you're going to have to sacrifice yeah. the income you receive from location dependence. And you're going to have to take the plunge, so to speak. Right. And you're only probably going to have to sacrifice at least initially. And then after that, it's all going to be returned. Sure. I mean, it's lo it's long, more long-term sustainable for you. You're going to put more passion into it, uh, more energy into it in the long term because you're passionate about the kinds of benefits you can see. The final one I'm going to peg in here is a group of people I've called love jobbers. You know, this is, these are another group of the OG lifestyle designers. These are people, these are beach bums who like to party, who went to Thailand and opened up a bar. These are people who love to ski, who moved to, to Whistler and become an instructor. Dive masters on, these on are, the side of... These are dive masters in Fiji, you know, like, it's really easy to do. Barrier to entry is almost nothing. People really overestimate how difficult it is to become a dive instructor in Fiji. Right. It's not that hard. The problem with being a love jobber is that it's not scalable, you know? 
Well, it's not scalable, but one thing that you can do is you can you can add on to your income. So if you're a if you're a, a dive master, maybe you start a dive shop, sure, right, and then maybe you start a dive blog. Then it, you know it, it, there are ways to scale it. Yeah, sure. Um, but in general, you know, I think one of the biggest problems with uh, love jobbers is that they see it as like a step down. So if they're like a software developer, but they'd really be, love to be a dive master, you know, what are their friends and family going to think of them when they go to Fiji and become dive masters, you know, and take a fifty percent pay cut? Well. Right. You know, it's important to do what you what you love. Yeah, certainly there's a big difference between the people who've taken the plunge and the people who think about it. I don't meet a lot of love jobbers who aren't loving it. You know, maybe that's just my uh, skew perspective on the situation, but it certainly seems like it's an incredible thing to do. Is And another way to skew that idea of work-life balance and just to throw the idea of balance out the back door. Balance, having a balance implies that there's something, there's something screwed up that you're trying to inject, you know? There's no yeah. need for balance when you've already arrived at what you'd be doing anyway. Yeah, couldn't be said better. All right, well, thanks for joining me on this one, Ian. It was a lot of fun. Hey, hey, thanks for sticking around, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the Lifestyle Business Podcast this week. As always, you can get on the mailing list. We've got free video and a bunch of other stuff coming out for uh, the folks who signed up for the mailing list. That can be found at our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com got a busy couple weeks coming up. I'm hitting the road. I'm doing it in a day pack, getting all my gear lined up, and uh, I'll be sharing that in the next couple weeks. See you around.